Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ask Mike Show. Mike here is your host as always, and today I'm joined with Margie Felhune in the virtual studio. Margie, thanks for coming on. Mike, thanks so much for having me. So you're the co-founder of Interview Connections, which if I'm not mistaken, is a podcast booking agency. So I thought I'd start with why did you choose podcasts in a in a world where you could pick TV or magazines in terms of like PR and media? Why did you choose podcasts? That's a great question. I mean, traditional media is still great, especially for positioning, you know, getting on TV, getting in magazines is really good and really important. But podcasting is a lot more intimate. So it's usually smaller audiences, but most of our clients who do traditional media and podcast guesting, they get clients from the podcast, not from the traditional media, but, you know, they can position the traditional media and, you know, it looks good on the website. The logos look good. So there's a place for both, but podcast guesting is really for fortune, not for fame. It's more about getting clients and small targeted audiences rather than reaching the masses. So what in your mind is, is the difference between the the smaller podcasts, I guess, versus like, let's just say, to make life easier for the interview, this one, um, the top 10. So the difference between the, the smaller podcasts versus getting featured in, in the top 10 shows. Yeah, well... One of the big things, I think a lot of people come into this thinking about it the way they would with traditional media of like, what's the reach? I need to be in front of as many people as possible. So that's something we work with our clients on a lot because the most important thing about the podcast that you're considering being a guest on is not necessarily it's ranking. It's not necessarily that it's a top 10 show, but that it meets your criteria. So you really need a lot of clarity on what your goals are for being a guest and who your target audience is and getting in front of them. So you could get on a top 10 show and we have had clients go on huge shows and get no clients out of it because it's not a targeted audience. They work with a specific type of entrepreneur and a show that has hundreds of thousands or even millions of listeners. A lot of them might just be, you know, consumers. They're not business owners or they're not whoever your target audience is. So I think the targeting and really being clear on your criteria and your goals are more important than just the numbers in terms of how big the audience is. How do you how do you have that conversation with clients though? Because you'll always have someone that goes, well, if it isn't a big show, then I don't really want to be on it. You have this sort of like, I want the big shows or nothing kind of people. So how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, it happens a lot because if you're new to it, that does make sense as like an intuitive approach. So we do a lot of educating our market, educating our clients on how the strategy should work. Um, but it is a process. I mean, it does, people have to really be in it for the right reasons. And if you're going into being a podcast guest to get famous, sometimes you will just tell people like, this is just, isn't a good strategy for you. Like you should try something else. Yeah. It's a weird, um, it's a weird situation or scenario where being on a hundred shows will probably be better, even if they're smaller shows versus like, two big shows because in my own experience anyway what I found is 
some people just listen to the big shows without really taking action on what's being said yeah. sometimes. So because it's more of an entertainment thing for people at that level, um, it's almost like, like listening to the radio. There are so few people that take action on what they're listening to. They're just busy listening to it. They don't really do much with it, I found. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And that's why you need those those targeted people. We have a client who um, owns a financial planning firm in the US and it's like a multi seven figure business. I mean, he's been at it for a long time and he's on the local news every single week giving financial advice. So he lives in a big city. So a lot of people know him. He like gets recognized at the bagel shop, but he's never gotten a single client for his firm from any of the TV appearances, even though everybody in his town in the city like knows him, but he gets a third of his clients at this, at this point from his podcast appearances. But it's just like you said, it took momentum to get there. It's not like he did one show and suddenly a third of his clients were from that one podcast. It takes consistency. I mean, I'm doing like four to six interviews a month every single month. And that's when you really start to get some traction and see those big results. It's not just like try a couple and see what happens. It's almost like where just because you're showing up all the time, people have no choice but to see you. <laughs> like, I'm going to be on this big show and it'll change everything. So it's like you need to have the consistency because people will forget you pretty yeah, easily. People need those. I mean, the number keeps going up, but right, I think right now it's like 16 touches before they actually want to buy or want to work with you. So you do kind of need to be everywhere. And then there's the targeting as well. Like I'd rather talk in front of a hundred people who are the right fit for our business than, you know, and do that every week then speak in front of an audience of 200,000 people who are are not our target audience. I guess that also speaks to the podcaster as well, not just the guest, but there's a real benefit to having a niche podcast for people out there looking for niche podcast as well. Yes, definitely. And a lot of our clients see a huge ROI from the hosts themselves. And that's another difference in traditional media. If you get interviewed on TV, it's unlikely that the person interviewing you for TV is going to also become a client or a referral partner for your business. That It just doesn't happen. But it does happen all the time with podcasts. So there's such a great networking opportunity to connect with a host who's an influencer in your space. Maybe they're an ideal client. Maybe they're an ideal referral partner or affiliate partner. So what was your initial start with the company then? Did you just have like five podcast hosts that you knew reasonably well and then you grew your sort of podcaster list, if you will, from there? Like, how did you start? So my business partner, Jess, actually founded the business in 2013 and she got started because her dad is an entrepreneur. He's a business coach. And he saw, I think earlier than almost anyone, the power of having your own podcast and consistently guesting on other shows. So in 2013, he was already doing this. He had his own show and she started uh, because she became essentially 
a solo virtual assistant because she wanted to be home with her first child. And her dad was like, great, I'll be your first client. So the business was built really on her just being a VA for her dad. And one of the things he had her doing was pitching him to other podcasts because he understood the value of getting in front of new audiences and continuing to grow his own platform. And then from there, he coached her on niching it down and having it not just be like an hourly VA thing, but its own service. And then it's really evolved from there. And now, you know, we're a multi seven figure company. We have over 20 full-time employees on our team. So it sounds like it's been a, a quest of relationship building this, this journey that you're on of who can I know, who knows them? How can I find this person? How did you, how did you find the podcasters, and then so I say right, there are probably podcasters that are easier to get close to than others. So do you have any stories of podcasters that are quite easily to get hold of, and then the podcaster which took you ages just to find their manager or or someone that works for that person? Yes. So. We have a lot of connections. I mean, it really started with just Jess reaching out to hosts, finding their email and like pitching them. And she created the industry. She was the first one doing this. And I mean, fast forward seven years, it's, you know, common now, but at that time hosts were like, oh my gosh, you're pitching me. Cool. And so it's, it started like that. And obviously things have changed a lot. So at that point you could pitch a huge podcaster podcast host and, and have a chance of getting a yes, or at least getting a response. At this point, the market is saturated enough because people see the opportunity, which is why it's important that you have someone good pitching you and someone who has connections in the space. So we have a lot of podcasters who we are close friends with over seven years, and we will have our agents like hop on the phone with them and be like, okay, what are you looking for, you know, for the next few months or the next season, what types of experts? And then we can just send our clients who are a fit their way. So those partnerships we have, I mean, the hosts don't pay us, but we really work collaboratively with them. And then there are those hosts that we are constantly reaching out to new shows that are cold for our clients because we are constantly expanding our database. And, you know, we might have a client who comes on who needs a type of show that we haven't worked with before. So now we're researching and reaching out to cold leads and a it does help to stand out. So I have, I started out as an agent and I had one where I went to a comedy show and the woman who was the comedian was so funny. And I had a client, Jen Briney, who's an incredible person. She has a show called Congressional Dish and she is an expert in politics, but I booked her on comedy shows because comedy audiences were good for her and they liked her show because even though it's political, it's also funny. So I huh. saw this, this woman. Oh, do you know Jen Briney? I've heard of the name, but I don't, I don't know her as a person. She's so cool. So this was a while ago when I was like, this was before I was an owner and I was Jen's agent. And so I saw this comedian, I Googled her and she had a podcast and it was a big podcast because she's a well-known comedian. And so I emailed her the next day 
And I was able to honestly say like, Hey, I was in your, your audience. And I actually like answered a question. So I like interacted with her. She kind of made fun of me. I was like in the front row. So I was able to call back to that. And I followed up with her and she responded to me because I was a real person who had like paid to see her. And we talked back and forth. I followed up with her so many times because she was so busy and it needed to be an in-person interview, which we, we really don't guarantee now. But at that point I was really like, I was so determined and I ended up connecting them so that they met in LA. They were like in the green room of one of her shows. They did an interview. And that was a really cool one because it took a lot. It took that personal connection, seeing her in person, following up, but it was a really, really cool opportunity. How often do you go after a bigger show versus the smaller shows? Now I'm aware that some shows are quite easy to get to, so you might spend less time on those and more time on the uh, trying to find that way in versus actually getting the access. So how much time do you spend on the the bigger shows versus the, the smaller shows? So we spend most of our time on mid-range shows because those are the shows that really move the needle for our clients. Most of our clients are service-based business owners and their goals are generally like visibility and getting more clients. So we focus on mid-range shows that aren't brand new, but they're not huge shows because it's honestly not worth our time to go for those huge shows because they're not going to get clients from them anyway. So we would not reach out to a big show just for the sake of it, but we do absolutely, if we have a client who that show, that big show is a good fit for them and they're a good fit for the show, we will do it. It takes a bit of self-awareness because if you're brand new and nobody knows you and you think that, you know, like Oprah wants to interview you, there's like a little delusion happening there. But there are times when we have a client who has a lot to offer to a big show and it's a good fit for their goals and we will pitch them. And we have booked our clients on big shows, but we only do it when it makes sense to do it. And it's aligned with their goals and with what the show wants in terms of the value for their listeners. It sounds like... There's a lot of back and forth between the client and the podcast to make sure that everything is in alignment, I guess, because if it's not, then the client won't get the return and then the show will be like, well, this guest isn't really a good fit for the show. And then it ruins the relationship on both sides, I imagine. So the clients don't have to go back and forth with the host because we take that off their plate. So the agent is the one going back and forth with the host, making sure it's a great fit, researching the show, pitching the client. And really our clients, we take all that work off their plate. So by the time they're connected with the host, we know it's a good fit for both parties. The host has accepted them as a guest and then they're just booking the appearance. So all that stuff happens behind the scenes. Ah, got it. So from the guest point of view, they're just booking shows, yeah? Yes. They don't have to do any of the work, except they schedule their recording and then they show up and deliver a great interview. But everything else we take off their plate because to do, you know, four shows a month, every month for a year, two years, three years, it's a lot of hours of legwork for them to do that and keep that momentum up. So we take that off their plate so that they can just show up. What I found is there are a lot of podcasts out there 
that are easy to either apply to be a guest on or just reach the host. Then there are podcasts whereby you've almost got no way of reaching anyone that's connected to the show. So what process do you have when it comes to you want to get access to a show, but it's not, you haven't got a form on the website, you've not got an email, like what's the, because I read a book the other day called, I think it's the third door, fourth, I think it's the fourth door or something, I can't remember the, the name of the author, but it's about like you try and go through the main gate you don't get in. Then you try the side door and you don't get in. And the third door is like a window you want to climb through that gets you into the back bathroom. And then you try and find a way into the the main room. So there was this element of trying to find a way in when the main doors don't work. So what's your process? So we have a lot. We have a team of 13 full-time agents and two full-time show researchers who do this all day. So they're finding contact information. They're connecting with hosts. Um, Some basic things you can do um, is connect with them on social media. That can be really helpful because sometimes the email that you have isn't your, it's not going to the right person. Um, another thing is instead of sending a pitch to whatever email you find, reach out via social media or via email, whatever you have and say, Hey, who's the right person on the team for me to send a pitch to, because that will probably get you an answer more than just sending the pitch to the person who was like, this is not my job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point. Actually making sure the, the actual, Email goes to the right person. Yeah. And then we have a gigantic database where we save all that information. So once we get that answer of like, this is the person on the team that you should send guest suggestions to, then we, you know, update that and we can use that going forward. That makes perfect sense. Um, Do you have any interesting stories you can share regarding podcasts, any funny moments or like silly things that happened that uh, you'd be able to share with us? That's such a good question. Um, Silly things. I'm trying to think of something that was like really funny. I mean, there's a lot of heartwarming moments. I don't know if they're funny, but I have like a lot of experiences with hosts where it's just, it's so nice to connect with like-minded people, especially this year, everyone's a little more isolated, but just in general. And like having those moments, like I interviewed with a host a while ago and we just like really hit it off. She and I were just like going back and forth. We scheduled another call. We were like on zoom talking about other business stuff. And now like we're referral partners. She's getting referrals for our launches. We're sending people her way. And it's just been so fun to have these like extra business friends that I made from being a guest on shows. So I don't know. It's not funny, but it is this kind of like warm and nice thing that I, and I think we need a lot more of that. Yeah. I was talking to um, someone the other day. I was, I was a host on his show and he turned around to me and he said, um, you're a really nice guy. I'd love to like chat to you on a call or message back and forth. And, and you just seem really cool. I think that we, we kind of connect. It's the same sort of thing with you is sometimes podcasting is a very good networking tool, I guess. And you know, you never know who you're going to meet. And I think that's the real 
beauty of it. We don't know each other until we're on the call sometimes. So the first <laughs> the first couple of minutes is normally the most awkward first couple mm-hmm. of minutes of the entire conversation. But then after that, it gets very, very comfortable, I guess, very, very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a bit more about the the future for interview connections that because I'm aware that it's podcasting right now, but is there anything on the horizon for the company? So our core offering, it will continue to be podcast guesting because it's just, it's only getting more and more valuable. And part of our success has been because of our focus, because we are so niche, we have not branched out into other types of PR. Um, So we really know the landscape in podcasting. We've become like the people to go to for podcast booking. As far as um, the future, we have been doing more I would say holistic support for our clients. So rather than it just being bookings, we also are now offering training calls, criteria support, more check-ins and strategy from leadership. So it's less just like, okay, here are your bookings. Good luck. And it's more that they're really working collaboratively with our team to strategize on going like, okay, you did four interviews last month. How did those go? Which types of shows are really working? Which host do you really connect with? Do we want more of this? Do we want less of this? And really looking at how are you monetizing? Like, okay, you've done this many interviews. Like, have you gotten clients? What's your call to action? Where are you sending people? And looking at every part of the strategy to make sure that they're not just, you know, getting out there, but successfully leveraging it and monetizing it. And we have also been branching out into supporting our clients in other aspects of their business, because since we've grown a multi-seven-figure company, our clients who are at six figures but going to seven, um, we found that they've wanted some support in other areas. So we do offer client trainings on other topics like team and leadership that our clients want support on. That makes sense, actually, because if you think about to get the most out of a podcast, very often it's the person being interviewed. I've had to almost drag a person through an interview. Very often it's the lack of information that makes it then difficult to formulate the next question. And this was back before I was, I guess it's partly my responsibility as the host to be a bit more picky about who I have on sometimes. Um, But very often it's people like the idea of being on a podcast until until the mic's on, until we click record. And then their entire head goes, well, I thought this was a good idea. Um, I was told podcasts were, uh, were the way to do it. And now I literally can't find the words to say. Now I've gotten, there's nothing there. There's nobody at home. There's no hamster on the wheel. I've got nothing. And as I know a lot of my my shows are pretty much unscripted. Um, so people tend to, oh, have you got questions that you would ask me? No. We'll see how it goes. Bit of research. And then we dive in. And they look at me as if, like, oh, oh, I thought it would be an easier job than, than this. And it, it's interesting because when people then try to be a host, they realize how hard it is to be a podcaster. And then when they're actually being hosted by yourself as a guest you realize how hard it is to be a guest I think people have a very strange relationship with it because some people think it's very easy until they do it 
and they tend to be the people that have the hardest time. Yeah, we do a lot of prep work with our clients because it's so important that you have clarity on who your target audience is, who you're talking to, what your goals are. We do one sheets for our clients, which do help to pitch the host because it's got their bio and their headshot and their questions and topics. But it's also really helpful for the client for us to go through with them. Okay, what are the suggested topics and questions that you want to be talking about so that they can start to think through like what stories am I telling? What topics am I talking about? about. And a lot of shows like yours, they're not scripted. They're not necessarily going to go down their suggested questions, but it's an exercise as well that helps them get clarity to know what they're talking about. And then the other thing is it takes practice. I mean, like your first interview is not going to be that good, but our clients are doing four shows per month every month. So they become an expert really fast. And it's the type of thing you do want to prepare the way we do with our clients, but you can only get better by getting out there. How do you have the conversation with the clients? Because I'm assuming that they pay for the interviews, whether it's like per interview or per month based on how many interviews that they have. <laughs> how, would you, how would you sit down with them and go, okay, these weren't very good. Um, this is where you should probably look at improving. And they're sat there going, oh, I'm paying for the interviews and I don't realize I had to like be good at being interviewed. It's a very weird, it seems like a very weird conversation to have with them when you go, look, it's not about the, the fact that you're getting the interviews, it's what you're doing when the recording's on. Yeah, I mean, it really does take both. It's We do vet the clients. We're we're pretty picky about who we work with. So someone who is not enough of an expert in their field to speak well on it would not be a good fit for us. And we wouldn't work with them, not to say that they shouldn't get out there and do their thing, but that wouldn't be someone that we would work with. So our clients, they can speak, they are experts. They might not have experience in an interview format and we coach them through that, but we never work with anyone who's just like a train wreck. Like you listen to the interview and it's like, this was a waste of your time. We make sure it's a good use of time. And then it's really a matter of like tweaking little things. It's never like, this is terrible, but it's like, all right, let's let's look at your call to action. Is this working? Are listeners taking action and clicking this link or joining your group? Okay, if not, let's look at why. Is this an attractive call to action? Are you being confusing when you say it? Do they not know what to do? So it, it's little nuances like that. It's it's never us having to tell them that they just wasted their time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was going to be my next question. Have you ever had to tell someone, look, podcasting is just not for you. You just can't do this thing. And there's probably going to be no based on the, the previous question. So... We have, but not, you know, not when they're clients, that conversation would happen in the sales process. And we we do turn people away all the time because we we're going to be authentic with you. If you're going to see success with the strategy and with us, and there are certain businesses that their goal just isn't, you know, isn't feasible for podcasting. And it would be unethical for us to tell them that it will work when it won't. It's good that you've got that sort of, moral code I guess the whole kind of ethics because a lot of people would just say yeah yeah we'll do that and they just keep going and keep going and you listen to the interviews going nah it's it's another mess it was another mess we'll keep going it was a mess but we'll keep going but no you're actually going to sit down and say look you should probably brush up on 
your answers to certain questions and things of that nature because I can't tell you how many times I've answered the same question over and over again and every answer has been a bit better has been a bit fine has been a bit more like not to the point and that's it but you find that balance between enough information to help the host formulate the next question without rabbiting on and praying that they keep up with what you're saying yes definitely (laughs) i have been very guilty of like the more i do it there's an element of okay I like telling stories, but you've got to still be to the point. You can't just veer off violently into the crowd somewhere and and try and bring it back so that the host goes, oh, that's what he meant. (laughs) It's, it's, it's It's a very weird thing where you can get used to something to the extent where you, you just go wild and off topic because you get like almost overconfident and then your brain just processes things so quickly that you, you've got to still be refined though. You can't just, you can't just veer off. Yeah. Something that works really well. And I actually did this exercise, um, at the end of last year, um, we did like a speaking, workshop with our client, Jacqueline Nagel, who is an incredible speaker coach out of Australia. Um, And she was doing at the time US trainings. Now everything's virtual. And I, you know, it was so helpful to work with her. And one of the things we did with her was write out our stories. And it, it helped my podcast interview so much. And now I always tell our clients to do this. And it's not like you're not going to read on the podcast and nor should you like memorize it and say it on the podcast. But when you're forced to write out your stories, you think critically about like, where do I want to start this story? At what point am I dropping the listener in? And what details do I want to include? And what don't matter. And you can prep that for stories that you know you always tell, like how was the business founded? How did you get to where you are? You know, your biggest success, your biggest failure, client success stories, like those things you know you're probably going to hit every time. If you do that exercise and write them out, it's so helpful. And I noticed a difference immediately in my interviews from doing that. I found that the same with books as well. I don't know if you've ever done this where if you write something down and then read it back to you but make notes on like when did you get bored when did you lose your train of thought when did you like run out of like concentration with the story and that that helped me refine things down because you start to not consume it or take it in as the person saying it but the person receiving it. And if they get bored at this point, or if you get bored at this point, chances are they will too. So it was a very good exercise in not being the person saying the story, but the person consuming the story and going, oh, I got bored at that point. I should probably shorten it or change a few words around or rewrite it. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a client actually who's got a super successful online business, but he didn't really have any experience with any type of media before he started working with us. And so we were booking him as a guest on shows and then he started his own show. And now at this point, he's getting TV appearances from his interview. So he's really branched out in a few years from doing this. And he has really become like one of our 
like, like our A plus student, he is such a great client. And one of the things that he does is like I said, we make one sheets for our clients that have suggested topics and questions. And he has his wife ask him the questions and he practices. And even though he had no media experience and he's like a tech guy, like, you know, not necessarily like a speaker, but he is now because he practiced like that. And now he's incredibly good on interviews. So I would recommend that too. If you have someone at home, you can practice with. That's a good point, actually. You'd be surprised at how how practice does actually play a part. It's very, very hard to, I guess, pretend that you've practiced by trying to be refined. You can't, you can't pretend practice. You can't put it on. You can't fake it almost. It's almost like, look, you can't get around the fact that someone's very good because they have simply done thousands of these things. You can't beat thousands of hours of practice. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you how do you help your clients with their interviews? Because you get people on clients and you on clients, you get people on interviews and you also mentioned that you help your clients that around the booking as well, not just getting bookings and that's it. You help them with around it. How do you do the call to action? How do you answer your questions? And you've spoken quite a bit about it already, but talk to us a bit about interviewer techniques and then interviewee techniques. So we mostly coach our clients on being an interviewee because we don't really focus on them starting shows, although most of our clients do. We focus on them being a guest. So the biggest thing, apart from that clarity and that practice, is really their mindset. Like we really notice a huge difference for clients who genuinely are excited to help others and give value and serve they have huge results because podcast hosts can sense that they're genuine and that they want to give to their audience and they're not looking for what they can get, but they want to serve. And then they're forming great relationships. The audiences love and trust them. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to say everything perfectly. If you genuinely are there to give value and serve, that is probably my biggest tip to see success with the strategy. It's interesting as a host where you tend to tell by the person that you're interviewing what their mindset is. Now, I don't know if that's a superpower that only I have. I I really doubt it. But I don't know whether it's an intuition thing or whatever it is, but you can tell when they are there just to promote their thing versus the people that are there because they genuinely want to give and if people take action on their thing then great like there's a difference between a nice to have and then their sole reason for being on the show to begin with I I don't know if that's something that you've experienced yourself I don't know if you have that because I'm aware that you have also have a podcast of your own um, through interview connections. So have you ever had that where someone's came on, it's very, very clear they're only there to promote a book or they're only there to promote their thing. And you've got someone that comes on and you think, by me, they're almost going through the whole of their course or the whole of their book on the interview. Why do I need to even buy this thing? But then there's a part of me that goes, 
but I would though because they give so much on the interview. I kind of almost feel guilty for not buying their thing. Um, so have you ever had that yourself? Well, yeah, I think it's important to remember that it's not an infomercial, it's a conversation. That being said, it's good to give value. I mean, you want the audience to be able to take what you said and get a result for free. So they're like, well, if I get a result for for free from you, what would I get if I actually paid you to work, you know, paid to work with you? We get a lot of pitches for our show. And the ones where you can tell that it's just, they are not out to serve. They just want to get something. It'll just be like this really long copy and pasted email. That's just like totally about their book or something. It has nothing to do with our show. They, I mean, our show is niche. It's about podcast guesting and they don't really say why that would be relevant. And people can sense it, like you said, and maybe not everyone is as aware as you are and can tell what's going on, but people will get an icky feeling from you. And Jess and I actually met when we were door-to-door canvassers. Um, We were going door-to-door asking for money. We were working for an environmental nonprofit. And that's not only where we met, but where we got a lot of the business skills that we still use, you know, like a decade later. And there was this thing that could happen because we had a quota and it was a nonprofit. So if you didn't hit your quota and the amount you needed to make, they had to let you go because they couldn't afford to keep you. So we would we would canvas from about 4 p.m. to about 830 p.m. every single night. And sometimes you just have a bad night. And whenever I had trainees who would get to like 8 p.m. and they'd be at zero dollars, you could see they were starting to panic. And sometimes what you want to do is like go faster because you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to get some money. But we used to call it you have dollar signs in your eyes. Like you cannot show up at someone's door with dollar signs in your eyes like that because it's going to make them so uncomfortable and you're going to get a no. Mm -hmm. You got to sit down, you got to reset and take a deep breath and tune back into your why or the service or how you actually want to have a greater impact and then go to their door. So I do think that some entrepreneurs have dollar signs in their eyes when they get on the interview and it definitely shows to the audience and to the host. So it's so important to, if you're getting to that place, meditate or whatever you have to do, take a deep breath, you know, tap back into your why, why are you doing this? How are you serving your clients? Why are you passionate about what you do? And then come to the interview. I think that's a very, very good point because I think it's easy to forget why, not why you're on the show, but why you're the person being interviewed. I think it's it's an interesting tweet because not everyone's going to know that you're an expert in your thing. And just from my own experience, if all you're there to do is sell your thing, that will switch those people off completely. And if you're on an interview with someone that's completely new audience, the last thing you want to do is switch off the entire audience. Someone that hasn't got a clue who you are, they want to know why on earth they should, they should even listen to you versus mm-hmm. buy your thing. So it's a very, very slight thing because the host will know. You know. The host is like, okay, you read a book, you've done this, you've done that, you've got a course, you've got whatever it is that you're wanting people to do at the end of your interviews. But then you've got to think about the listener. 
someone that has no idea who you are, you should go in with, okay, these people don't know who I am. There's no way they're going to like me. They probably won't even trust me by the end. And I think using the whole no like and trust element within an interview, like ticking those boxes, is a good frame of reference. It's a good starting point. And I've only mentioned this a couple of times, but it, it is difficult to do sometimes within an interview format because it's your answers that count. It's how you answer the questions that make all the difference. Yeah, I think who you are and what you're about really does shine through in your answers to the questions. I do think that's part of what makes podcast guesting so powerful is a lot of the times entrepreneurs who are guesting on shows end up kind of sharing their story or at least parts of their background story. And it makes them so much more likable and so much more trustworthy because yes, they've got this service or they're an expert in this, but getting to know them on a deeper level and maybe a little more vulnerable level really does make the difference between liking someone and actually trusting them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's something definitely worth the listeners listening to and taking in, you know, it's not something that's talked about an awful lot. You know, mm-hmm. you can't get the fact that if you're on a show where no one knows who you are, you've got to go in with that frame of reference. You can't go in with the assumption that they all know you, they all know who you are, they all know about what you do. It's a very difficult position to be in. And I think people have to take your advice and, and learn how to navigate that because it's not easy. It's not straightforward and not everyone can do it. And then they won't get the return on being a podcast guest. Yeah. And you are, so you're converting the listeners to, to, you know, go from not knowing you at all to knowing, liking, and trusting you, but you can also leverage your interviews to your own audience who's somewhat warm. And that's really important too. So sharing your appearances on all your platforms, you know, sending your guest appearances to lead to your in sales conversations with, you know, we have a client who does that, who will send a lead, you know, if they have a question, he'll send them an interview and say, Hey, go to minute 23 of this interview. I address exactly what you said. And it positions him really well and it gives them valuable content. So yes, the the audience of the existing audience of that show is important, but so is how you leverage it in front of your own audience and people who Google you when you do enough podcast interviews, all your appearances will come up. So it serves as social proof, even to cold leads, even if they weren't in that audience to begin with. That's a very interesting point. And that's something that I wasn't fully aware that the people did. You know, they reference uh, a, a question and an answer within somebody's podcast to the current audience that had that same question. That's a pretty good, pretty good way of using that. I guess that is something that a lot of people could do. A lot of people can start to do. Um, if you're anything like me, though, I don't listen to my own interviews back again. I know I probably should, but I don't listen to, I don't, I've got this thing with my own voice and I'm like, oh, you listen to yourself again. You listening to yourself again. Look how weird you sound. Look how weird you sound. We always said, look how you sound. Listen to how you sound. 
get it right, Mike. Get it right. I mean, so that's I- okay. We I just want to jump in because we talk about visibility all the time from podcast interviews, which is also kind of ironic because it's not visibility because they're listening to you. So I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a weird weird contradiction. My own fault. My own fault. So. To, to round off then, um, Margie, how can people learn more about you and interview connections? So those that want to be a podcast guest and would like your help, where can they go? So the best place is our free Facebook community, the Guest Expert Profit Lab. That is an amazing group. Jess and I are in there as well as our team doing training. So that's an incredible place to get referrals and network, but also learn how you can leverage the strategy and you can go to interviewconnections.com slash group and answer the three member questions to join. Awesome, Margie. Well, it's been a while on the show since I've had an episode on podcasting. We're even longer, I think, to being a good podcast guest. Those of you that are tuning in, great to have you here as always make sure you subscribe if you haven't already and leave a review if you enjoyed the interview margie thanks for being a guest thanks so much mike